I think most people um, have difficulty asking for help. It's kind of like a learned skill, asking for help, being able to, to do it. Um, even if you know how to do it, um, being willing to do it, going and asking for help. And I've definitely grown in how I've been being able to ask for help over time, um, but it's something I'm still not perfect in. And there's many different reasons I might need help, and perhaps you can identify with, with these. Um, perhaps I don't know what to do, and I need someone to tell me what to do. Or perhaps um, I don't know how to do something. Maybe I know what to do, but I don't know quite how to do it. I need someone to show me how to do it, not just tell me what to do. Maybe I don't have time to do someone, and I need to do something, and I need someone else to do that thing, or to come help me do that thing so that I can actually get it done. Or maybe I'm just simply overwhelmed by what needs to get done, um, the amount of it, or the, the thing itself is just so difficult, not even know where to start, and it's just like, I just need help, I don't know how to do this myself. And maybe I'm sad, or scared, or worried, and I need someone to help me through it. And maybe you guys can identify with those things as well. And there's certain things, I've realized as I was thinking about this, that I'm more comfortable and willing to ask for help in. Um, a couple of weeks ago, well, maybe it was a month ago, Jerry helped me out with our faucet upstairs, and he offered the help, and I was more comfortable receiving that help and calling him on Saturday to say, hey, Jerry, how about this time? And because I have no idea how to replace a faucet, and Jerry does, and Jerry probably also thought I had no idea how to replace a faucet, so I had nothing to prove. You know, it's like, hey, we both know. I don't know what I'm doing here, so it's okay if you help me. Um, and I was willing to ask our neighbor, Bruce, for advice on our lawn and bushes because I really don't have much knowledge about lawns and bushes, and he used to have this grounds care business, and so I was fine asking him for help because it's like, hey, we both know I don't know what I'm doing, so um, it's okay to ask for help. But still, even though Jerry and Bruce are very kind people, there are lots of reasons for me not to ask for their help and to not accept their help. I don't want to bother them. I don't want to inconvenience them to inconvenience themselves for me. If they're busy and stressed out about their own life, I don't want them to add my thing into their life and become more stressed about their life. I don't want them to feel obligated. Oh, I have to go do this thing. Maybe I asked them for help with something else recently, and it's like, well, I just got help from them last week or last month, and I can't, you know, there has to be this nice little buffer room between so I don't become this annoying person that they're like, oh, they're helping me all the time. I don't want to be too needy and annoying. And all this is not about, like I said, Jerry or Bruce. This is all from me being scared of things that they might think, even though I truly believe that neither one of them would think those things. And that's all for something that I feel comfortable asking for help in. We both know I don't know what I'm doing, so would you help me? But if there's other areas of my life where I need help, where I don't want other people to know about it, or only want certain people to know that I need help in that. Sometimes I only ask for help after I have a little bit figured out, because I don't want to look completely out of control and completely um, lacking competence. I want to look like, you know, I have some sort of an, I have some sort of adequacy. I'm not just fully, you know, inadequate in this area. I don't want another person to lose respect for me because I don't have some piece of knowledge or some skill, and I want to manage the Im image that people are seeing of me. And so maybe you, I'd imagine most of us, can relate to some of those things of like, why don't we ask people for help? We all have difficulty asking for help. And some of us are better at it than others. Some of us have grown in it. Some of us grew up in a house where it was done well and done a lot. Um, but how many of you can relate to thinking about asking someone for help, but then you didn't because you came up with a bunch of reasons of why you shouldn't? I don't want to bother them. They seem stressed. I don't want them to feel like they have to. Um, I should be able to handle this on my own. I don't want to take their time. And we come up with this whole list of reasons that we don't ask for help. And one of the reasons asking for help is so difficult is because it's vulnerable. 
when you're coming to a person and saying, hey, I need help, um, you're admitting that you in and of yourself don't have what is needed to accomplish this thing or to get this thing done, whether it's time or a skill or, or knowledge or whatever it is, you're saying to the person, like, I'm inadequate. I'm not enough for this task or this whatever it is that's before me. And so it's a vulnerable thing. And for many of us, um, we've been hurt in the past when we've done that. We've come in that vulnerable spot um, and somebody has responded poorly. Perhaps growing up, uh, your parents didn't react well when you needed help. Or maybe your boss doesn't react well when you need help. And many of us have been scarred by how people have reacted to us when we have come to them for help. And so we're going to take a moment to reflect on that. What are some bad ways um, to respond when someone asks for help? Or what are some bad ways you've experienced um, somebody responding to you when you've said, hey, I need help with this? What are some bad ways to respond? You seem like they're too busy to make you feel unimportant. It's like, oh, I'm too busy, and it's like, oh, well, then you can't push things aside to help me out this one time, you know? They're too busy and make you feel unimportant, mm -hmm. or in, like you're bothering, like the, yeah. the thing we're scared of is really true, mm -hmm. but they're like, wow, this is a bother, I've got a lot going on. They're too busy, um, make you feel unimportant. Okay. They help you, but they complain the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I could be mowing my own lawn right now. Yeah. You know what? I got a baby at home full of poopy diapers, pooping their diapers. I'm helping you. Yeah. Complain while helping. <clears throat> They're insulting. Like, how? How could you not know how to do this? Or how could you not? the worst. Yeah. Insult you? How could you not know? How do you know how to change a faucet? Hey. <laughs> you do now, right? I do now. I Did you watch it? Watch it? Does anybody need a faucet change? Jerry has trained me. He's, he's and got I... it. It works, I can attest. Hot and cold. Yeah. Wait. There's two. Uh-oh. <laughs> as long as you don't want to shut it off, it's fine. I thought the left one was the backup cold. You have the water <laughs> running out. You can't turn it off. Oh, no. <laughs> other ways people or you've responded poorly to someone asking for help? Um, they say they'll help, but then they never follow through. Oh, like they won't follow through, kind of break their word. They pass you, they send you to, to the next person. So, uh, they kind of, what would you call that? They, they, they uh, Ignore you said send you down the line. Yeah, like pass you down the line. I've had that happen before. You go to a specific person, they're just like, go talk to this person. Yeah. We'll put pass you to someone else. They don't have time or don't want to deal with it. That can also make you feel like you're unimportant if you get you know, passed to someone else. Kind of connects up here. Mm -hmm. Oh, jeez. Oh, that was the word. We don't have nails and we don't have a chalkboard, but you still manage to get <laughs> Anybody want to help knowing how to do that? I think sometimes I've experienced um, maybe anger, like or like a shaming of like you should have maybe somebody 
I guess it's the insulting, like, yeah. you should have known how to do this. I already told you once or something like that. Or so maybe anger and patience, I would put. Well, we're going to have to switch to blue. We all know it's the same list. It's okay. Anger. What was the other word I said? Shame. Annoyance, shame. Anything else? Last call? Um, make it transactional. Like, what's in it for me? Mm -hmm. Transactional. Yeah, I'll help you if you do this or whatever. Or you didn't help me however long ago when I asked for help, so why should I help you now? So it could be past or future. There's also instances where they agree to help when they don't really have the skills either to help. <laughs> yeah. So you end up having to do it again anyway. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. We had that happen at Menard. That's too long of a story. I feel like that's me 90% of the time. So yeah. yeah, I'll help you. Sure, I'll you help. have to show me what I need to do. <laughs> All right. We'll, put it, we'll leave it there. So we're going to this series. Um, called For Us, Enjoying God's Forgiveness Through Jesus. Four weeks, last week we started it, this week, next week, and then Brian's going to be sharing with us on Memorial Day um, when we're all camping, and then the next week after that we'll finish up this, this series. Um, but Jesus said his death would provide forgiveness for our sins. It would cleanse us from everything we've ever done wrong in disobedience to God. And then he sends us to go proclaim that good news of forgiveness to a whole world that he says needed. And if there's one thing um, I want you to remember from this series, it's right out of the title. God is for you, not against you. God is for you, not against you. And if you wanted one sentence uh, to just that would change your life, is if we could really get deep down in our hearts the truth that God is for us and not against us. Um, even people who haven't entrusted in Christ, they may not have eternal salvation, but God says, don't I show love and care and goodness to everybody, the, both the righteous and the wicked? I send rain. I keep this earth going. And, you know, God says, I provide for everybody. Um, so God's already showing grace to the whole world, and he shows a special grace for the people who have trusted in Jesus. So God is for you, not against you. And there are plenty of reasons that God should be against us. But because of Jesus, God is for us. He's on our side, and that means... What that means is we enjoy God's forgiveness through Jesus. We accept God's free forgiveness to make us right with him. It's only because of Jesus. Um, God, I mean, God already showed he's for us by sending Jesus. When we trust in Jesus, now it's like, well, there's nothing between us and God because it's all taken away. And last week we talked about how it's necessary for us to confess our sin to God openly, to cultivate fellowship with him. And God desires that we don't sin, uh, that we obey Jesus and everything he said. But he says, if you do sin... Um, confess your sins, and I'm faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and cleanse you from all sin. And knowing God wants to us to confess our sin to him so we can be forgiven is one thing, but knowing how he treats us when we go to confess our sin to him is another thing. How does God react when we need forgiveness? How does he treat us when we've done wrong? And that's what we're covering this week as we continue looking at forgiveness. And in this week's passage, we're told, um, we're going to be focusing on Hebrews 4. We're told that when we do sin, we have, or last week's passage, sorry, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 4, but last week's passage we were told that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, 
acting on our behalf. But what does that mean? And how does he act on our behalf? That's what Hebrews 4 answers. Um, we're, and our big idea from this passage is two parts. I couldn't really figure out a way to make it one nice sentence that wasn't a Villagillian words long. So two parts. There's something I want you to know from today. If there's one thing you remember from today and know, it's this. There's one thing I want you to do. So first is Jesus is always tender, merciful, and gracious towards sinners seeking help. Jesus is always tender, merciful, and gracious towards sinners seeking help. Then the thing I want you to do, one thing I want you to do is cling to Jesus after today. And we'll go through that, what's in there as we go through these passages. In our first scripture reading from Hebrews 2, 14 to 18 that Katie did, we heard that Jesus, uh, he helps believers. He's our high priest so that, uh, who became like us so he can help us come to God. And he is the propitiation for our sins. We talked about that last week. A propitiation is some a sacrifice that removes God's wrath, God's just opposition to all things evil and sinful and selfish. Jesus removes that from us. He's our propitiation. And we're told that he can help us when we're tempted because he suffered when he when because he suffered when tempted. And between that passage that Katie read and then the passage I read, Hebrews 4, um, the author exhorts the people reading, including us, Hold fast to Jesus. He exhorts them and us, keep trusting, keep obeying. He wants us to finish the race of faith. Oh, in Hebrews chapter 13, he says, um, as we run this race, fix your eyes on Jesus. He wants us to remain faithful to Jesus until the end of our life so that we can enter God's rest. And so I'm sure many of us have run at some point in our lives, uh, whether it's physical, you know, FIED, go to that, go to class, and it's like, hey, you got to run a mile or whatever. Maybe it was um, a while ago, or maybe you've run a race, um, or you just run for fun. Um, but if you're like me, you feel pretty good at the start of a run. <clears throat> Head's held high, chest is up, you're just like, you know, striding along, and you're feeling the adrenaline, the excitement, and then about halfway through, all of a sudden, your feet, my feet anyway, I guess I have size 13s, but anyway, they feel like they're about 40 pounds, and I'm no longer striding like this. It's more like, oh, you know, like I just got to get to the end of this, please. Um, where is it going to end? And my lungs are burning. And all I can think about is how much further I have to go. And these people in Hebrews, um, just like us, are in the middle of running the race of faith. Whatever, whatever they started off like. I mean, probably a lot of us start off the race of faith excited. Um, have, you know, wow, I heard about this Jesus guy. And this is exciting. I'm really excited. And then midway through, things get hard. People around us begin ridiculing us for our faith in Jesus. Others thought that, uh, think that our belief in Jesus is silly. And so we start feeling pressure to stop believing, whether it's friends or family or whoever. And the difficulties of life create setbacks. We have issues at work that, that stress us out. We are struggling to put food on the table. Kids need time and attention. And family members are are not doing well, they're sick, or we have people die, and we're taking care of all that stuff, and we're grieving those deaths in the family, and life happens, and things get hard. And so he's writing to people who are experiencing all that, um, so do you think he's maybe writing to us too, that experience all these things, that midway through the race of faith, things can get hard, and then life starts to crowd out things, and God, the temptation that we face 
in the middle of the race is to put God on the back burner. The temptation we face is to put all of our focus on the cares of life instead of walking with Jesus. And God, those things get more attention and God gets less. And people at work in our neighborhoods and our families around the news put pressure on us to you know, take this Jesus thing a little less seriously. And so we let him fade to the background in our lives and not be as upfront so we can blend in. And when that happens, we start to believe lies about God. Maybe, you know, maybe he really doesn't care. Maybe he really isn't that good. Maybe this whole gospel thing really isn't true. Maybe he isn't worth all this trouble. And by the way, if God really loved me, he'd take care of all these problems. Why is my life so hard? If God loves me, if God is for me and not against me, why is life so hard? Why am I suffering? Why don't people like me? Why is work hard? Why are my kids, you know, all these things. And in the middle of the race of faith, we start thinking, if God was for me, life would be a lot easier. And he starts going to the background. We start believing these lies about him that he really isn't for us. He's against us. When we start thinking like that, sin begins to look a lot better than obedience. We get tired of pursuing God. We get tired of putting sin to death. We get tired of confessing and asking for forgiveness. We harden ourselves because we think, you know, it's just easier to sin. It's more fun and God isn't around anyway, so who cares? And we start to believe these two lies we've come back to over and over. Sin isn't that bad and God isn't that good. And these are the things that the author of Hebrews is reminding is exhorting us, like, don't let this happen. Don't believe this lie that sin isn't that bad and God isn't that good. Stay running with him. Stay true to Jesus. And we're in the middle of the race of faith, faith and the finish line maybe looks just too far away. And it'd be easier to call it quits, but the author of Hebrews says, don't quit, keep going, keep running, keep pursuing God, keep obeying God. That's how you enter his presence at the end. That's how you enter his rest at the end of the race. And so with all that, now that's where Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 comes in. And this passage is meant to be an encouragement for us to keep going when we feel like giving up in the middle of the race. And so he says this, chapter 4, verse 14. We'll go, it's three verses, we'll go one at a time. So very, cha, verse, chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Since then, and we're in the middle of the race, and now he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That's so the command, the exhortation he gives there is, hold fast your confession of Jesus as your Lord. In other words, don't give up. Keep fighting sin. Keep fighting unbelief. Keep fighting lies that Satan is throwing at you. Don't stop trusting and obeying God. Why? Because we have a great high priest who is at the right hand of God in heaven. He's made a way for us to come up to God. He's gone ahead of us. And this high priest is none other than the Son of God. He's not just some dude off the street. This is the very Son of God. He's the one that you get to that's helping bring you um, to God himself, God the Father. God the Son is our high priest. So don't give up because you have Jesus acting on your behalf. And why is that encouraging? You're like, okay, great, Jesus is acting on my behalf. How does that help me? Verse 15 tells us. Why is it good news that Jesus is acting on our behalf? 15, for or because... We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this translation uses the word to sympathize. Some other translations use the word uh, empathize. Um, and it means basically to suffer with somebody. Uh, it's, yeah, sympathy and empathy are closely related. And sometimes we make 
our culture makes a little bit of a distinction, like sympathy is a bad thing, empathy is a good thing, but um, it's, it's just, they both kind of overlap. It's to suffer with somebody. Um, and not just that you're going through the same thing, but you're feeling what they feel. I am suffering with the same feelings that you are going through because I'm connecting with you in that way. I'm having compassion on you. You feel compassion towards someone. You're feeling what they're feeling right alongside them. You're feeling with them. Now, I'd imagine some of you could make the same confession I'm about to make. I have a hard time doing this. I have a hard time empathizing and sympathizing with people. And early on in our marriage, Katie had to help me understand that when she tells me something, she doesn't want me to fix it right away. And that didn't make much sense to me because I was like, but there's a problem. I need to fix it. Fix it. I'll fix it for you. You know, she's like, I'm, you know, I had a bad day at work or whatever. I had a bad day um, doing whatever it was with Hudson. And it's like, you know, I'm feeling frustrated, you know, all these things. And it's like, ooh, you know, I, so, well, let's, let's change what we do with Hudson. Let's change this problem you ever work. Let me give you my advice. And I, she had to teach me early on, um, that's not what I want right away. I, can't, you, I don't want you to dump right away to fixing it and tell me what you do. I want you to first understand. I want you to feel with me, feel what I'm feeling. And, to, and eventually she may want my advice, but my first response she wanted was empathy. She wanted me to feel with her. And that feeling with her would build connection, it would build safety, uh, that she knows, like, I'm getting it. I'm with you here. And I don't think this is a men versus women thing. I think sometimes that can be painted. You know, men are fixers and women are feelers or, you know, whatever it is. I don't, I don't think that's true. Um, I've discovered that I take advice. I also take advice way better when someone has shown they understand me, when they show that they understand how I feel, when they're feeling with me. And I think in general, women are, are more natural at knowing I want my feelings to be understood and often in general better at empathizing and sympathizing. Uh, but we're all growing in this. It's how God made us, that our feelings are a part of us, that men don't need to stuff them down and be like, no, I'm just, you know, this iron fortress. I think we just often don't understand that, we, that that's what we want. Like this person just gave me all that advice and I walked away not liking it, not because it was bad advice, but because they really didn't, didn't hear me, didn't understand me, didn't feel with me. And everyone is different, and so we all desire it at different levels. But understanding is always the best place to start. Feeling with someone is always a good place to start. And verse 15 tells us that Jesus, our high priest, is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And why? It says because he's been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. And back in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 told us um, that he was made like us in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help us when we're tempted jesus can has felt can feel right along with us because jesus who is fully god became fully man he's able to sympathize and empathize with us he's able to feel what we feel he can fully identify with the human experience and our big idea i summarize this sympathy and empathy thing as he is always tender when you feel empathy towards someone, when you feel sympathy towards someone, you feel tender towards them. You feel like you're, you're not just like, okay, you're silly and dumb for struggling with that. Let me tell you exactly how to fix this so you can stop feeling that way. We feel this tenderness. Our heart, you know, we have the phrase, our heart goes out to them. Um, and people, you know, something bad happens. It's like, you know, my thoughts and prayers are with you. And we're expressing, I'm feeling tender towards you. I'm feeling sad with you. I'm grieving with you. I'm angry about this too. And it isn't it amazing 
that Jesus, the Son of God, our King, Savior, and High Priest, is able to feel with us. He can feel what we felt. He can fully connect with our neediness, our weaknesses, our temptations to sin. Jesus has fully identified with humanity. And it's easy to think about our relationship with God like our relationship with the internet company. Like, hey, something's broken here, God, so let me call you up in prayer. Uh, and I kind of put in my ticket request. You get some person on the other line who you're not sure if they even know how to handle your problem. You're not sure if they understand your problem. And they just kind of have this script uh, that they run. I've been trained to run through this script, and if I can't handle it, I'll shoot you up to the next person. And they're cold and they're distant. They're not with us. And we kind of think of our relationship with God like that. Like we put in our requests to fix our problems through the prayer line. He's cold and distant. Maybe at some point, you know, that ticket will get picked up and they'll arrive at our house and our internet will be fixed or whatever problem it is will be fixed. And it's cold and distant and scripted responses. And sometimes when you call tech support, they think you're kind of slow. And they're a little frustrated that you haven't figured this out. Like, you know, why don't we talk about it? Maybe some of these things that we said, like, uh, well, is the computer on? No, the, you know, we made, they kind of think we're dumb or something. And it's like, do we think Jesus is like that, cold and distant and scripted responses? And he maybe thinks, like, why can't you just figure this out on your own? Like, why are you calling me? When we come to Jesus struggling, hurting, tempted, needy and weak, Jesus responds with, I get it. I've been there. I felt exactly how you were feeling. I know what it's like to feel pressure, to just quit and feel like you can't go anymore. I know what it feels like to have the whole world against you. I know how hard the temptation is to walk away from God. I know what it feels like to have sin crouching at your door. I know it's hard. I know the pressure. Don't give up. You're not alone. And Jesus can say, I know what it's like. He's not a cold, distant fixer. He responds to our weaknesses and our neediness and our temptation with warmth and care and closeness. Jesus is always tender, merciful, and gracious towards sinners seeking help. And that's why we need to cling to him. That's our, our no. And that's why we need to cling to Jesus. And verse 16 gives us the second part of our big idea. What should we do because Jesus is a tender high priest? Look at verse 16. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And imagine you need help. You've decided to go to God, and he's in his throne room, and the doors are closed. They're not locked. You can go in. Doors are closed, and you're standing in front of the door. And what do you usually imagine God is going to be like when you come to him for help? You open that door... What's going to be the look on God's face? What's going to be the attitude he expresses towards you? What is God going to feel towards you when you open that? Do you imagine he's going to be like this list we wrote down earlier? He's going to be too busy. I'll give you help, but I'll complain. Maybe he's like, How could, I told you what to do. Why, why haven't you figured this out? Or is he going to be a chirp? Yeah, yeah, I'll take care of that. You know, Maybe he's nice and happy and kind. I'll take care of that. He doesn't follow through. Maybe he passes you on to someone else. This is one of the things I find most discouraging about, uh, there's a lot of things that we could say are good in the Catholic faith, but one of the most discouraging things is you've got 
you go to the saints and you go to the Virgin Mary. You can't even go to God himself because he, maybe he's too busy for you and you need to get, Mary will get Jesus' ear so that you can, so that he'll be nice to you. And it's like, no, that's not what any of this is saying. We don't get passed on to somebody else. Or is God going to respond? This is probably what I feel the most. Maybe that's why I said it. He's going to be angry and annoyed with me and he's going to shame me. Or he's, maybe we think like, well, God will only help me. I have to make all these promises like, God, I'll never do this again. I promise I'll live the rest of my life for you. I'm not going to ask you for help another time. Like, and we have to make all these promises for him. And maybe God just doesn't know what he's doing. Like, geez, is this a guy I can even trust with the help he gives me? And these are lies from Satan telling us God isn't that good. And Satan wants, us to, keep, wants to keep us standing at the door of God's throne room, thinking all the things of bad things God's going to do and he just wants us to keep outside of it scared to push open those doors to go in and talk to God and Satan often his tactic isn't so much of like hey I'm going to batter down the walls of your castle or whatever you want to do like he uses the siege tactic where he surrounds you and cuts you off from the resources and he starves you out he cuts us off from the resources we need to run the race of faith to finish the race well by convincing us, you know, God won't give those to us anyway if we go into them. And so, you know, we're, we just all we have to do is go through the door, but we stop at it, and Satan keeps us from the resources we need. It's a siege tactic to starve us out. And this verse tells us, draw near to the throne of grace. And then what's crazy is it says, with confidence. And if you imagine God responding to you in any other way than tender and merciful and gracious, you're not believing what God has said about himself. We don't enter with confidence in ourselves. We enter with confidence in Jesus, that he is who he said he is, and that he's given us um, access to be there. He died the death we deserve to pay for our sins. And now there's nothing between us and God. There's no reason we can't walk into his throne room with confidence. When we enter the throne room, we see God is completely for us and not against us. He's not sit on a throne of judgment or condemnation or shame or wrath or rejection, but on a throne of grace. So when we enter, we shouldn't expect shame and guilt and laying it on us. And how good or bad you have been does not determine your confidence in drawing near to God. You only are ever able to draw near because of Jesus. And he's faithful. Book of Hebrews, one of the words it uses for Jesus is faithful. That's why I use the word always here. He is faithful. And the other um, line that the book of Hebrews says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not like Jesus is going to have a bad day and be like, oh, sorry, you caught me on an off day. That's why I wasn't tender, merciful, or gracious to you. No, Jesus is always the same. Jesus is always faithful. Jesus always does his job. And his job is to bring us to God. His job is to connect us with God, to welcome us and draw us near to the throne of grace. You don't have to give God a week to cool down. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to enter by the strength of your faith or the goodness of your life or how little you sin today or this week, you don't lose access to God by how bad you are, and you don't gain access by how good you are. The access is given to you by Jesus. And so, when we come in, you know, when, I mean, it's almost like, I thought about this a lot, draw near to God with confidence. And in a way, it's like almost inappropriate and irreverent, you know, like walking up, I mean, just thinking, this is like such, so, so, so scaled down. But even us thinking like, okay, if we saw the president, you know, in his, you know, doing his thing, in his motorcade, whatever it is, and we just, woof, 
tried to walk right past, you know, security and everything and just walked up to him like we knew him with confidence. It's like, whoa, dude, this is, there's like a whole ceremony thing. There's security. You can't just walk in like that. And it almost feels like inappropriate and irreverent. I'm not going to draw near to God with confidence. I should just be in there like, I'm just so thankful. I can even be close to him here. But, you know, like walking right up to him like he's our father because he is. And it's like it would be irreverent and appropriate. If God himself didn't tell us, draw near to me, draw near to my throne of grace with confidence. We don't have to be cowering, ashamed, not knowing what to expect. There's a song that's helped me, and it has this line. It says, all things in me call for my rejection. All things in you plead my acceptance. And we have no right to enter God's presence on our own. But we can because of Jesus. Jesus' job is to bring us close to God. And if there's someone who always does their job, it's God. And so Jesus always perfectly, faithfully does his job every time. And God doesn't want you to apologize for coming in. God doesn't want you to justify why you're there. God doesn't want you to make promises you can't keep or so that you'll never do it again or I'll never ask you for something again. He just wants you to know, I belong here. I can draw near with confidence. I don't have to be, feel bad that I'm here. And often we, and sometimes this can maybe be confusing for us, like, okay, Jesus is always tender, merciful, and gracious. So is it that God the Father is kind of grumpy and, like, you know, he would take it out on us, but Jesus is like, hey, no, 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 no. You know, he's, like, kind of shields us in that way. No, Jesus isn't shielding and protecting us from the grumpy, mean Father. We sang that song, glad Tim picked that song, Good, Good Father, because Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. You can read that back, first verses of Hebrews 1. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. Anyone who's seen Jesus has seen the Father, we read in John. The Father has appointed his Son to represent us. And Jesus took on humanity so that he's fully equipped to help us draw near to God. You know, those don't know what they're doing, uh, Jesus, we're told, he's tempted in every way, so he's able to sympathize and help us in our time of need. That's when you learn, leave here today, I want you to know Jesus is always tender, merciful, and gracious towards sinners seeking help. What I want you to do is this. Cling to Jesus. Hold tight to him. Run to him. Draw near to him. Fix your eyes on him. At the beginning, we made this list about bad ways people respond to help. Um, And I hope you see that Jesus doesn't respond in any of these ways. He's always tender, merciful, and gracious. But sometimes we don't ask for help because of what it says about us. So we're going to make another list, and we'll change colors. So when we, there's a question I want you to think about. When you ask for help, what are you admitting to that person about yourself? When you ask for help, what are you admitting to that person about yourself? You're struggling. Struggling. You can't do it on your own. Struggling. That's what we admitting when we ask for help. Not perfect. Not perfect? Yes, a perfect person knows everything and can do everything. God, only God <laughs> knows everything and can do everything. I think 
for me, I'm admitting I'm in need. And uh, kind of mentioned it earlier, I'm not enough. I'm not, I'm not enough for this task of doing my faucet. Never done it before. I need somebody else. You know, I'm not adequate enough myself. I think sometimes when you're asking for help, um, it's not even like help with something that's happening to you or something that's around you. It's something you're doing. Maybe you're struggling with sin, fears, mm -hmm. or whatever. And if you try to ask people for help, then you have to admit that you're sinning. You have to admit that that's something that mm -hmm. you're, you know, you have this stain upon you. So we're admitting um, we've sinned or done wrong. Yeah, it might not be yeah, something we're trying to accomplish, but something that we're trying to remedy or, you know, if we've broken a law or something, hurt somebody. Yeah. Last call. Sounds like Hudson's being summoned in there for something. Um, but some of the things we believe are we have to have it all together. I should know what to do. I should be able to do it. It's my responsibility. It's no one else's. Or you may think that this is this is what others expect. Of it. Well, I guess we, we, people expect the opposite of this. They well, I'm a, I expect you not to struggle. I expect you to do it on your own. I expect you to be perfect. I expect you to not be in need. I expect you to be enough for everything. To never sin. To never do anything wrong. <coughs> and we think like people are expecting that of me, and so I can't show them that that's not true of me. I can't show them that this is my reality. And God knows. The good news is this, that God knows that we are all of these things. And in fact, God created us. Some of these aren't a result of sin. Some of them are just how God created us. God created us needy. God created us dependent. God created us with limitations, with weakness. He created us to be beings that trust him and rely on him and need him for life. We're supposed to look to him as a father. A child is not self-sustaining and self-sufficient of themselves. They need a parent, and we're supposed to look to God as our parent. God knows that, we, that we're going to struggle, we can't do it on our own, we're not perfect, we're in need, that we're not enough. He created us this way. He didn't create us to do things wrong or to sin, um, but he takes care of all of these things. And so the good news is that God knows we're all this already, and yet he doesn't respond to us like this. So God knows we are this, doesn't respond to us like this. And what we're scared of is that we're all these things. And if we admit it to anybody, they're going to respond this way. But the good news is that God already knows it. And he doesn't respond to us in any of those ways. So, as we close, <clears throat> write down which of these is true for you. Why, we, why don't we go to Jesus for help and staying close to God? And the one would be, I don't think I need his help. And the other would be, I don't think he'll give help. Or maybe you have some other sentence that helps you. Which one of those is true for you? Do you not go to Jesus because you don't think you need his help? Or do you not go because you don't think he'll give help? And to combat either one of those lies, why don't you take our big idea, I'll flip this over, Wheel of Fortune. And I want you to personalize it for you. So if you haven't written it down, um, or you've already written it down, rewrite it, 
and write either me in here or write your name. Jesus is always tender, merciful, and gracious toward me or put your name when I seek help. Jesus is always merciful, tender, merciful, and gracious towards you when you seek help. Just take a moment and let that sink in. Close your eyes and just say it to him. And sometimes we have to say the truths that we have a hard time believing. Say it to him. Jesus, you are tender, tender, merciful, and gracious toward me when I seek your help. Just take a moment and say that to him. this week and for the rest of your life, cling to Jesus. You cannot finish the race without him. When should we cling to him? We are, when we're tempted to sin, cling to Jesus because he's the one that can guide you out of the temptation. He's the one that can give you strength and he's going to respond to you with tenderness and mercy and grace because that's who he is. He's not going to say, figure it out. You should know what to do. I already told you I'm busy. I don't have time for this. Why are you bothering me? He isn't annoyed and cold and disappointed. He's always tender, always tender, merciful, and gracious. And to be honest, I had trouble writing that word always. Because I don't fully believe it. Sometimes I think he's kind of annoyed with me. And I had a real hard time writing it. But I went back to the truths of what um, Hebrews says. That Jesus is, all, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that he is faithful. He doesn't drop the ball on who he is. It's just who he is. Tender, merciful, and gracious. So when you're tempted to sin, cling to Jesus. And when you sin, cling to Jesus. It's easy for me to believe that when I mess up, I'm in the doghouse. I need to tuck my tail between my legs and go outside in shame and wait for God to eventually cool down and come get me so I can be with him again. And I have to be out there long enough for me to learn my lesson and for him to not be mad anymore so he can cool down and treat me nice again. And then he slowly warms up to me and comes back like nothing happened. But I better not do it again or I'm going back out there. God doesn't stay distant until you figure it out or clean yourself up. Jesus is always tender and merciful and gracious. If God thought we could be perfect on our own, he would have never taken on human nature and died for our sins. I mean, God just went through to the, you know, moved heaven and earth literally to save us and to forgive us and to make us righteous before him. And so if he thought we could be perfect, why would he have done any of that stuff? And just as we close, I want you to think about this idea or image. Um, we as a community are an incubator for God's tender, merciful, gracious presence and care to one another. As we experience Jesus doing this to us, and then he wants to do it through us as he transforms us to see him as tender and merciful and gracious. And now we can respond to each other's weakness and neediness and sin and failures and mistakes and our falling short with that same tenderness and mercy, and grace. And Jesus, by his presence, is forming us to be um, people who help one another, uh, draw each other closer to God, and come near to God, and say, you know, let's draw to the throne of grace. Like, there's nothing keeping us from that. And so we, Jesus is equipping each of us to be able to do that with each other. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful truth that just sounds too good to be true, that Jesus is always tender, 
merciful and gracious toward sinners seeking help. Even though we get told so many times, still the same, yesterday and today and forever. Would you let us see that as we take the Lord's Supper? In your Son's name we pray. Amen.